At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It is time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land. The of promised speaking land, the truth the land, and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works. This is the beginning. It is not the finale. And that's why we're here. And that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Hello and welcome to another episode of Public Access America. Before I hit the live stream button and Jeffrey gets here, I just wanted to do some house cleaning. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. Our live stream is Sundays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Public Access America at YouTube. Uh, Check out Inspirations Beyond Disabilities. We had a great long conversation about movies, anime, TV, all of that stuff. Disney. Um, What's your favorite Disney movie? You know what I mean? Uh, Marvel or DC? It was a really good conversation, including audio description information. You know, if you want to use audio descriptions at the theater or even at home, there's some great advice there. Don't forget to check out Kai. Unsubscribe is the podcast. Way to go. And The Snack Network with my buddy Dave. He was also on the Inspirations Beyond Disability show at the Snap Network. Checks out strange and unusual foods so you don't have to. Hey, so I was talking to my friend about podcasting and um, I explained how cool it would be to give a little information about podcasting so that other people around the world and like Afghanistan or Iraq or China or wherever you can get a message out, you can get it out just by creating a podcast. So the first thing you want to do is Google the name of your podcast to see if it's ranking anywhere else. I had a band once famous story. They called themselves Cloud. And I explained to them that they will never climb in the rankings with that name. (laughs) So they changed their name to Woven Mother. Go check out Woven Mother. Good band. Anyway, that's about it. I am going to get to the show and I'll give you more podcast tips here and there as we go along in season seven. I am going to pause, send the link to Jeffrey, and then we will get talking about our conversation. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. Hello and welcome back to Public <laughs> Public Access America's Season 7. I love that we're in Season 7. It's so cool. 
I'm, I'm flustered. We got a lot going on in the, I love changing things up, you know, every season. So we're working on, we got a new theme, like at this immersive wise. I love that. And um, we're working on a new theme song, which you might've just heard if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify and Apple and TuneIn and Victor Reader. You know, Jeffrey, I did not have I did not like the news this week. <laughs> there wasn't there, there wasn't a lot that could be tied back to more of a community conversation. You know what I mean? It was all just national chaos. So I just closed mm-hmm. myself off from it and um, didn't have a lot going on. So I thought I'd start with a PSA. And that is um, you have to know your body enough mm-hmm. when you're buying a butt plug so that it doesn't go in unexpectedly (laughs) i was listening to dan savage and there was a story about a glass butt plug and i was like oh we got to tell people you need to shop better for your butt plugs if you're going to use a butt plug know your body oh yeah yeah definitely um i mean i I mean it's one of those things where it's like Hmm. anytime you're gonna go buy sex toy you know it's it's one of those like I get like people have a hard time talking about this sort of stuff, but you know, you have to think about the fact that if you're going out to a store to go, to go buy it, you know, it's, it's okay to ask questions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and highly encouraged in fact, to ask questions. So that way you can kind of you know, know what, it, what it is that you're going to get yourself into or get your, get into yourself. I mean, really, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just, if you're gonna, if you're gonna buy a butt plug, you're gonna probably tell somebody about it, right? And then you're gonna want to explain that better. So having more information is better than not. And destigmatizing it, yes, yeah, just saying people buy and um, give sex toys all the time. You should, yeah. you should, you need to research it better. Like it always amazes me when somebody that doesn't know somebody else buys them a sex toy because it. How would you know that person's body just yet? You know what I mean? exactly and 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 i would even argue too that you know you might have some consent issues at hand there as well when you're buying someone a sex toy and and they're not expecting to receive that from you um (laughs) i wouldn't say it's you know i mean it's it's definitely unexpected and and uh you know just i would say you know know, if you're going to gift something be thoughtful make sure you talk to them hey is this something that you would be willing to get Mm -hmm. as a gift I mean, and then the answer may be no, and that's an acceptable answer. Right, but it's a fun conversation. That's true. You're gonna you're gonna learn about somebody's limitations. Yeah, like uh, how far a butt plug can go before it disappears. <laughs> it made me think: what if they made like a candy sort of dissolvable butt plug that only lasted an hour and then just like dissolved? You know. Well, I mean, they would obviously have to do some research just because like sugar directly into your colon is probably like, if you're a diabetic, that's going to be a bad day. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. Yeah. That's fun. You know, whereas, you know, maybe there is some, there's something you can do that's dissolvable. Doesn't really mess with your, your internals so much, but, but I mean, like this isn't, this isn't the first time I've heard of something like that happening. In fact, uh, there was, um, there's something here not that long ago where someone was using um, another uh, some food as a, a sex toy and they got Ooh. it lost uh, for a significant amount of time and ended up going into toxic shock. Wow. Um, 
so you have to be careful. Like mm-hmm. anytime that you're going to be doing anything like with sex toys or not sex toys. Right. I think, I think it comes down to trust. You need to build trust. Sex isn't about domineering or pain or anger. It's about trust. Unless so, you want it to be about those things. Unless you, yeah, if you want it to be about those things and it's consensual by all means, but have that discussion. But I think it comes, it comes through trust. You can't just choke somebody on your first date. You gotta, you gotta talk to them. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And I, I would say that most of my, most of my exes want to choke me, but not in the fun, sexy time sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I totally get it. I mean, <laughs> Even I want to choke me. Wait, hold on. Um, Jeez. Who is I, you know, in excess. Who is that guy? Poor guy. Oh, uh, and, well, and don't forget David Carradine as well. Oh man. Kung Fu. One of the greatest TV shows of all time. I, I mean, about him. Wow. Like, like people don't understand like how important sex is mm-hmm. in, in their own relationship. Like either with themselves or, or with someone else Mm -hmm. or with multiple partners, you know, everybody has their own needs and desires. And I'm certainly not the best person to be talking about this. I mean, this is, this is definitely another Debbie conversation. (laughs) I know. I just, I just threw it in as a a segue because I had another butt plug story. (laughs) Well, a human human butt plug story. Sorry. Wait, we're going to talk about Trump again. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, like I said, consent is, is, consent is important. Understanding what your sex needs are is important. Communicating that Mm. is important. And I'm going to leave it at that because there are better people to talk about this than me. Me too. I'll just say that when you discover something, you're not a professional. So don't go at it like a professional learn. I had a friend that, um, dom submissive thing was a thing right Mm -hmm. and it it was so i got to learn about that because i was like do i want to be a dom i don't like hurting people and i realized after a lot of research it isn't about that it's about it's about gaining trust and for certain people that's what they're looking for they're not looking for as much sexual gratification as trust and i like that so let's leave it at that so (laughs) let's go with uh I mean, I'm going with like the state butt plug, which is Texas. Butt plugs for 200. Oh, <laughs> butt plugs for 200, Dave. So man, <laughs> there you go. That's man, the title of the episode, right there. <laughs> butt plugs for 200. So, <laughs> I mean, I honestly thought he was a butt plug. I mean, most of my life. And Matthew McConaughey is considering running for governor of Texas, and. I was like, not the dazed and confused guy. No, not the Lincoln guy. No. Like, but then I read the article and I guess he gets it. I don't know if he could fix it. He's talking to mentors that he won't mention names saying that he's looking into it. It's just, can you picture the dazed and confused guy as governor of Texas as reform? I mean, could we picture Trump as president? At this point, anything's open game. Oh my God. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger. As governor of California, I, I mean, yeah. realistically, and I'm and I'm sure they said that about Ronald Reagan back mm-hmm. in the day too. Sure, you sure. know, you know. Wait, you mean the Western movie guy? You know, yeah. <laughs> what did he do with a? He had Western movies with a monkey, right? I forget what he yeah, had. Me too. Um, I mean, realistically, the idea of celebrities moving into politics at this mm-hmm. point doesn't surprise me. 
Um, you know, it, it, I, I will say that it concerns me um, because it, it's, you know, it's not like there's been a super great track record when it comes to celebrities as politicians. I right. mean, Reagan did a decent enough job. He was fucking crazy. I won't say that he was the greatest president, but I would say that he was, he was what I would, I would argue that he was what was needed at the time to counter the Soviet union. And he built, he built a cabinet, a pretty good cab. I mean, for the right side, he built Mm -hmm. a really good cabinet and then listened to the people. That's, and that's the important part is, is that he listened to his captain. Right. And then after that, it kind of becomes hit or miss. I mean, Mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger wasn't exactly the greatest governor, but he wasn't the worst either. Yeah, I, that was so far away. I don't know how he did. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, I, I mean, um, he did well enough to get himself elected. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it wasn't exactly a, the, I would say it wasn't exactly what everybody wanted or expected. But, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you expect from, you know, a celebrity running as a Republican in a very heavily Democratic state. So... Yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, he probably didn't do as terrible of a job as some people would like to say, but it probably wasn't the greatest job either. Um, and then you get, and then you get Trump, of course, uh, another celebrity as, you know, president. Right. And well, we know how that went. That was hot trash. He didn't pick a good cabinet and didn't listen to them. And I think I would argue big difference. I think, no, I would argue that his initial cabinet that he picked was actually a good cabinet because the decisions that started being made from that initial cabinet were working. They were doing, they were doing great. You had, you had things like, um, companies were actually raising wages to $15 minimum. You actually had, um, business growing at an insanely fast rate you had low cost of goods i mean for a hot minute the the american standard of living was on the rise and i mean it was much to the pain of democrats that that was happening but like all things trump he meant you know he went from we did this to i did this to i alone can fix this and and he alone did exactly what he did he made decisions and they were disastrous you know like you know like we've talked about plenty of times you know the the chinese uh forced technology transfer bad deal that needed to be addressed all the other shit stupid as fuck pretty much picking on our european allies and trade over there also a bad day well, yeah, it depends who your best friends with. That's all I, I don't think, I think right. Paul, Paul Ryan stimulated the economy with a jolt of a trillion, almost $2 trillion nitrous. And I think that helped the economy, but I don't really think Trump did. I mean, I suppose he had some cabinet members, but he had some that were buying like used mattresses from Trump hotel. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah. I, when you look at when you look at some of the picks that he had though mm-hmm. you know when it came to technology he had elon musk i mean let's whether or not you like the guy is irrelevant the guy's good at what he does well and he's looking to keep that on an even um platform like he he's incentivized to um watch china in that department you know what i mean he doesn't mm-hmm. care about fruit delivery he cares more about force technology you know transfer. he had he had linda mcmahon as the head of the small <laughs> business administration Did i that mean work? whether yeah i mean yeah, it, yeah. 
Okay. The, the so a lot of a lot of the tax incentives that you see that get passed, mm-hmm. while while they overwhelmingly benefit large corporations, there were a lot of changes that actually benefited small business during that time as well. There's and I mean even so much that you know some friends and family that I have you know, change their business structures during that time. And it was more beneficial to them as a small business. So, I mean, there were like, we hear a lot about what happens for large corporations because let's face it, they're everywhere. But even still there, there were changes made for small businesses that actually made sense and actually, you know, I would argue gave them the chance to be a bit more competitive. But of course, a lot of those benefits also went to large corporations as well. And so it just didn't quite balance out the way that they planned it or the way that they thought it would work, but it still gave small businesses a leg up that they didn't necessarily have before. I didn't even expect to get on the Trump cabinet at this today. (laughs) I love that. Um, Oh my God. Betsy DeVos was horrible. Can we agree? That was, no, that was a, that was a terrible pick. I don't, that was awful. That was not a good pick whatsoever. That's cool. Um, on, I would say James Mattis though, as secretary was a fantastic pick. Like he was a great pick, but he couldn't, he couldn't deal with Trump. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, when, when it comes, when I say he was a fantastic pick, I mean, from a military perspective, I mm-hmm. don't mean from a policy perspective Oh, I get it. and, and Mattis, Mattis understood like where our fights were, you know, Mattis understood that Syria was a bad idea, but once we got in there, abandoning our allies was a terrible decision. Right. He understood that, you know, we were, we needed to wind down the wars, you know, the war in Afghanistan, but you know, Trump had to do it his way. And so, you know. Mattis was like, I can't do this. I totally agree. Um, so back to Matthew McConaughey, what I have a problem with is the celebrity politician, like uh, the Elizabeth Warren and the Donald Trump's being treated like rock stars instead of just being a politician and doing the politician job. You know, I've Mm -hmm. noticed, I noticed today there was a story about how corporations are donating to criminal justice reform um, organizations, but they're not actually promoting it. And it feels to me like we're asking the private sector to do what politicians won't do, which means politicians aren't doing what we're paying them to do. We're, we're out, they're outsourcing it to corporations to do their, and it just seems really messed up. <laughs> You know, so I, I don't like the politician. I don't like the celebrity politician. I, I would hope that they would go back into obscurity and we don't talk about them unless they accomplish something, you know? Unfortunately, that door is open. And, and the reality is, is that I, I would say that social media makes the celebrity politician far more viable than it ever would have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in yeah, terms yeah. of like outsourcing to corporations, I mean... This is, this can be six of one I way, know. half a dozen, another, I know. you know, uh, this gets to the heart of our ideals kind of, doesn't it? It does yeah. for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't like, I think it really heavily depends when it comes to, when it comes to prisons, for example, I think outsourcing prisons is terrible because mm-hmm. like everything else you know, private sector is about supply and demand. Yep. And when you create a set of for-profit prisons that what that means is that you have now created a demand for prisoners and i think that's a terrible decision because as society as a whole 
when it comes to our jails overfilling, we need to be taking an objective look at why our jails are overfilling and start to understand, is, is there something going on in society that we're criminalizing that we shouldn't be? Overwhelmingly, it's been the war on drugs. And, and mm-hmm. uh, as, as, you know, so far decades of, of incarcerations have shown, jailing people for drugs has not worked. Not fucking once. It has not worked the way that, that for nonviolent crimes, right? For nonviolent crimes. It has not worked the way that people think that it thought that it would. I mean, don't get me wrong, when it comes to violent offenders, yes, prison is, you know, exactly the place where we need violent offenders. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of where it's supposed to be. I mean, you know, you look at it and even even in the even in the historical past, you know, you had the community deal with people who had issues of sobriety and whatnot. Right jailing them was not the solution, but it became a solution because mm-hmm. well, you got beds that have to be filled or else, you know, if you don't have a certain number of prisoners, you're going to end up paying for that space. Sure. And if you cut the social net and they don't have other options for their mental illnesses, we outsource that to our prisons and make our prison guards psychologists. So, so the idea that the idea that we should, the idea that for-profit prisons exist is quite heinous because what it mm-hmm. does is it, you know, like I said, it creates the demand for prisoners, but it also keeps us from fundamentally and objectively looking at what we're doing as a society that's leading to people being in jail. Hmm. And so who's in jail, like, why would we fix it if, if minorities are the ones that we're locking up? You know, that's the, that's its intent. It's running the way it was designed. Oh, I'm not saying that it's not running the way it's designed. It's running exactly the way it was designed. Yeah. And I'm saying, and what I'm also saying is, is that the way that it's designed is meant to keep us from fundamentally looking at what's going on That's right. and, and learning as a society where things need to change. It reminds me of one of my favorite Rick and Morty lines. It just seems like slavery with extra steps. Oh, it is slavery with extra steps, especially because it's legalized in the 13th. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, that has to be changed. Slavery should never be a form of punishment. And I believe that slavery as a form of punishment violates, what is it? Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. What amendment is that? Is that the fourth? You got me. I think it's the fourth. We're going to have to throw some constitutional references in our shows, aren't we? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> nice. All right. So before we segue, I actually have. Uh, cruel and unusual punishment is the eighth. Eighth Amendment. All right, and I so yeah, yeah. It's it's to to me slavery, especially you know, especially when you look at it from a historical context, it is cruel and unusual punishment. It is the definition of cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mm-hmm. think that I think that that clause of the Thirteenth violates the Eighth Amendment. I like that. So let's go ACLU. Let's get that lawsuit going. Let's shut down these prisons. You know, people have gotten longer prison sentences for minor amounts of drugs than insurrectionists have for attacking and rapists. the capital. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and rapists that go thousands of test kits just go un untested in yep. in police stations around the country because they just don't care about that. They keep saying it's a backlog. It's a backlog. It's a backlog. Mm. It's like a backlog. It's of what? Priorities. Do you need? It's like, do you need to be hiring more laboratory staff to get this shit done? Like, 
Mm. It's like, don't get me wrong. Like if you, like we have, we have definitely spent a lot of money giving you tools that you say you need for the job. Right. But those tools have included military gear. Well, if, if you need some fucking labs in order to get things cleared up, then you need to start putting that in the budget because this is unacceptable. Yeah. It's a backlog of priorities because we learned when we needed, um, these institutions to test for COVID boom, we got tons of them. We could do that if we just considered, uh, solving rape a priority, but we don't, we don't really do that. And we don't really train the officers properly on how to handle a rape victim. And that kind of disgusts me. Well, and this is where, you know, this is also where I think a fundamental change in, in policing is where this happens. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, you need, you need the officer there in order to get, get the violent offender side of things going. Right. But you still have to handle this with some level of tact and not, you know, uh, yeah. I wish I could say more about this in, in, in that. We will in an upcoming episode. How about that? Oh, absolutely. There, there should be, there, there needs to be some fundamental changes and I think everybody agrees on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, but the long story short is, is that we still need the cops to be dealing with the violent offenders and we need them. Yeah. We need the cops to have the tools to process the kits that are going to allow them to catch violent offenders. Right. But it takes a special kind <clears throat> of person to be able to deal with a, a rape offender and a victim. Like, I don't think that necessarily is the same mentality. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. could have different people for that. And they're working on that. Like even Tallahassee came out with like a more of a mental health um, sector that just goes to the crimes. And I like this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we're moving that way. We just can't really see it. It's more small towns. Somebody said that if you, if you support community change, you're going to see the effects sooner. And that's Mm kind of cool. So that's what we're going for. Well, and that's exactly it. You know, it has to be done at a community level. And Mm -hmm. then, and the idea that you're going to rely on the feds to create some sort of law that is going to pass down, it's not going to be what you expect it to be. Yeah, and every community needs to handle it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you're going to see that, you know, police stations around the country will look at what is working, what isn't working, and they're going to adjust and try their own thing. And what might not necessarily work for one, for one group might work better for another. That's true. And that and different, yeah, different communities. I'm going to ask you a quick question, really quick, because I want to. <laughs> I mean, it has nothing okay. to nothing to do with anything really special. What is? Hold on a minute. What is RAM? RAM as what in is, computer RAM. Yeah, what is computer and computer RAM? I want to I want to help people learn more about the basics of computers, and I realized I don't even know what my RAM is. All right. <clears throat> okay. You got nice. a, another, another one. I do know. Nice. Yeah, Ram, I'm trying. <laughs> Ram is, uh, it's an acronym for random access memory. Basically it is, um, you have to think of it like a flash drive on steroids. So whenever your computer runs a process, okay. It's loading up whatever you're working on from your hard drive and it's storing pieces of it inside of the RAM. So that way it can quickly grab it because RAM is insanely fast. Now in the days of uh, old uh, old, uh, hard drives, disc hard drives, your hard drive read a lot slower than your RAM did. 
So by allowing parts of the program to function up inside of the RAM, you were able to take pieces of that program and allow it to operate faster. It's just that from a, from a computing perspective at the time, that solid state memory, that RAM was way too much for way too expensive. Hold on a second. Gotcha. You're listening to Public Access America on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. Hey, thank you to Pocket Addict and Victor Reader. I like Victor Reader and Audible, by the way. Ah, dog and the cat were messing with each other. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful uh, thought. So, uh, so with random access memory, like I was saying, mm-hmm. random access memory it, you have very limited memory, but it's very expensive at the time. So by having this super fast memory that you can pull parts of the program from, you're allowed, you're able to function a lot faster. You're able to uh, pull different parts of the programming very quickly in order to get your tasks done. Now, as time goes on, hard drives, the, the disk hard drives get faster, but they come up against limitations. And the solid state RAM gets faster as well as, you know, you figure out newer configurations, more pins, more processing power. So the limitation factor for RAM, uh, you know, for a while was just the RAM, you know, everything else was how much, um, how fast your hard disk was and how big your processor was. But, um, as you move into the modern computing era, um, you start to see that they're they're catching up because the technology has gotten more efficient. So, like for example, solid state hard drives are far faster than uh, hard disks are. Um, even like the first, you know, even more towards like the first generation of hard di- uh, of SSDs, just because they function like a flash drive on steroids, and ah, the clocks. Okay. And the clock speed of the RAM has increased a, a ton, but the reality of that has been that, you know, you had to have more processors in order to keep up with that speed. Now you have super fast SSDs um, in the M2 slot. Um, they're uh, called NVMe uh, SSDs. So like between your processor and your hard drive and your RAM, like you get... I wouldn't say it's instantaneous computing power, but it's a lot faster. And the other thing about uh, uh, solid states is is that um, they're more reliable in terms of you can move with your computer around. Like people don't don't tend to think about this with laptops. Like with desktops, you don't think about it at all because you're de- you're not moving your desktop around. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And those disks are spinning. And if you jar that disk, you're going to gouge it. And then you get bad sectors on your hard drive. Well, because there are no moving parts in an SSD hard drive, you don't have that issue. But with laptops, you see laptop hard drives burn out like after a few years because they're not meant to be moved around the way that they are. 
you know, people like Mac, I would say Mac users are probably the most egregious. They never shut off their computers because they want to be able to turn it on and have it working instantly. But when it comes to Mac users, I've never met a group of people who have to replace their hard drives more often. And so like what I've ended up doing is, is anytime that, you know, I have a friend that needs a, a new hard drive on a Mac, I tell them to get an SSD. They'll be far happier with it. It'll be far faster, be far more responsive, and you're going to have a lot fewer hard drive issues. Okay. I love that. But RAM, random access memory. Okay. Cool. You lost me there for a little while, and I just loved it. I love being buried in ignorance. Like, there's information there. I can go back and listen to you like five, six, seven times until it clicks in, and that's what mm-hmm. I, that's what I love about podcasting. You know, it's not a conversation you heard on the radio that just sort of disappeared. Yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, you have to think of your hard drive like the book. It's like, this is where everything is stored. Okay. You have to think of your processor like your brain. And then you have to think of RAM as like, this is where, like, this is like my little notebook that I can pull things from really quickly. So instead of having to read the whole book, you go, oh, I need, just need this line. Oh, I just need this. Oh, I just need this. And that's easier than getting it all or every time you need it, right? Oh, and, I get that. and a lot faster. That is a so lot faster. Cool. That's so cool. Thank you for that. I th- I was thinking about the internet and like, we used to be raised on like education, you know, like remembering, like Dan was talking about, I listened to that episode like two or three <clears throat> times, you know, our voices in that podcast are all so soothing. <laughs> <laughs> like I was really happy with that. I know people, people are tired of COVID, you know what I mean? But absolutely. And I don't care. It, anytime I get to have Dan on, because it, it's a new perspective, and it was a great pers- perspective of examination. But he also said that we are a, a learn, remember, you know, sort of society, and the mm-hmm. internet kind of changed that because now we have all the answers, and we have to choose what we do with that. And some people just stay at the base level of social media because they already know stuff or they don't want to know stuff. There's a lot of people that don't want to know what we talk about, Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, uh, don't, I, I, I know, I know you very know. much, but that, that made me think of like you, you mentioned you wanted to talk about food insecurity, right? And to mm-hmm. me in my big brain, <clears throat> I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my arms around the thought of food insecurity. It's global. It's everywhere. It's, um, it's prone to so many different factors. I didn't even know where to start. And, and then I realized, I mean, I have this whole note on food insecurity, which I think is so cool, but it made me realize that a lot of people don't do that when they think, when they hear the word food insecurity, they just go, yeah, I'm hungry too. And then they go and post another picture on Facebook. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, and and, yeah, like it's hard for most people to be able to put their, put their head around certain subjects or certain issues, Mm -hmm. especially when it's not something that you have to deal with on a daily basis. I mean, you know, if you've never had to deal with, you know, that fear of wondering where your next meal is going to come from, and you don't know anybody who's had to deal with that publicly, or had no someone who's had to deal with that, I will guarantee you that you know somebody who's had to make those decisions. They may not have told you. And that's the difference. There is a short-term and a long-term 
um, version of food insecurity. And I think to myself, people that are actually food insecure, they wouldn't call it food insecurity. They'd be like, I don't have enough. (laughs) (laughs) Like they wouldn't have a a word to put to it, but food insecurity is a longer sustaining. It's not just like I'm hungry and I'm going to go order something. It's, it's I'm hungry and I don't have the resources or I'm hungry and I don't have the money, but I wanted to get, so just to slow walk other people through my journey of Googling, (laughs) um, I want to, what is food insecurity? Let's just start with the definition of it. How about that? Yeah. So when you look at food, what is food insecurity? Food insecurity is the lack of reliable access to food staples on a daily basis. So the things, just your general need to survive, you know, your general foods that you need to survive, your ability to have three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. We're not talking about snacks. We're not talking about junk food. I mean, just your ability to eat those three meals a day. So everybody has a different idea of what food insecurity looks like, but, you know, I would say country by country, what staples are is very different. You know, for some countries, rice is that staple. For some countries, bread was that staple. When you look at what food insecurity is, though, it is the lack of reliable access to three meals a day. Right. And that can be anything from being in a food desert to being in an actual desert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Being in a food desert, being in an actual desert, being in poverty, Mm -hmm. being homeless. It's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, of factors, but there is, there's four, four definitions of food and well, food security. Two of them are food secure. And then the bottom two are low food security and very low foods, you know, insecurity and, um, low food insecurity is just the reduced quality variety or, um, desirability of your diet. Like you're getting foods, but they're not foods that are making you any healthier and you don't, or you might not necessarily like the options you have, but then very low, that is multiple indicators of very disruptive eating patterns. Mm -hmm. And I just, Oh, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And can I imagine? Yes, I actually can. I really can. You've been on both ends of the spectrum. Haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah. My earliest memories are being very low food secure. Right. I'm sorry about this note. Most of it is just reading you facts so that other people have them, but we're going to get to the point where you can actually be involved. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. Uh, So it's important to know that like hunger isn't food insecurity. Food insecurity is uh, something different. So Mm -hmm. just don't it's tough because somebody, you know, might be food insecure and you mocking it by saying, you know, you know what food insecurity is because you were hungry once you don't know who you're saying that to. So be careful. Um, so here's some effects that children have from food insecurity and just stop me. If you want to discuss any of them, um, increased development risk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, lower physical function, Mm -hmm. lower, psychological functions, lower motor development, lower mental development, lower maternal attachment. Wow. What do we got here? Hyperactivity. Uh, we got, wow. Let's see. 
sorry, my screen moved. <laughs> uh, school absence, that's what it is. Aggression and anxiety. Um, wow. Internalizing disorders. There we go. Externalizing disorders. So let's look disorders. Okay. Yeah. Because they can go on and on, but we're describing oh. America today, aren't we? Let's, actually, let's, let's talk about some of the external ones first. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've got some great points because I, I want to start with food insecurity and children. Good, good. Yeah. That's how yep. we fixed it, right? I'm sorry. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> now continue with the externals. Um, yeah, yeah. That's just that. That is the the external list right there. Um, ap absence and abuse problems. Oh, substance abuse problems. <clears throat> lack mm -hmm. of concentration. Mm -hmm. uh, difficulty getting along with people. Mm -hmm. Suspension from school and yep. depression and thoughts of suicide. Those are the right. physical, those are the outward physical ones. That's the problem is a lot of those are mentally mental as well as physical, you know? Right. So, so let's, let's talk about, mm -hmm. let's talk about this in, in regards to children. There's been some great studies out there. Um, there was one here a couple of years ago, um, where, uh, they experimented with giving kids breakfast in places where, um, you typically had, you know, uh, rougher neighborhoods or, um, more, more kids that were, uh, struggling in class and by feeding kids breakfast and lunch, they found out that children were more attentive during the day. They had fewer behavioral issues. Um, they were more attentive and their grades actually came up and somebody, you know, somebody had one, one of somebody I know had said something about, well, how can it be possible that breakfast makes you more attentive? And I'm, and I'm sitting here going, you're saying this from the perspective of a person who's had breakfast every day of your life mm -hmm. or at least two meals by choice, not, not by lack of choice. I mean, I know people who are not breakfast people don't get me wrong. You know, they're like, wow, do I really have to eat breakfast? And, and, you know, like for example, the kids, I tell them, look, you know, I know what the study shows. I'm not telling you to go eat a full meal. Sometimes just get something in your stomach. So that way mm -hmm. you've got, you know, you got a little something in your stomach and you know, you're not you know acting up in class and you know, that's, it's a really great start to me when I saw that, that much change in places where students had more difficulties with school and behavioral issues, it made perfect sense because kids how how is it that kids are able to tell you what's going on with themselves when they don't necessarily fully understand what's going wrong right you know this is you know like anything else like your brain does things as a cry for help mm -hmm. and so when when you're dealing with persistent pervasive hunger and food insecurity you do your kids do things and and it, it's not that you know it's it's a weird in that it's a way for kids to cry for help, but it's not the most productive because as adults, we're like, well, if you're hungry, just say something. Well, if you're used to the idea of not having breakfast in the morning, because you can't have breakfast in the morning, how, how do you tell someone, Hey, you know, I'm hungry, but mm -hmm. also I'm used to not having food. Right. It's not, it's not an issue for you. It's the way life is somebody that's depressed and considering suicide isn't thinking that food insecurity is a factor. They're thinking that they're a piece of shit and should die. Exactly. So when it comes, so, so at what you've started to see in a lot of schools across the country is, is that they're also offering breakfast now too, which 
to me, I think I, I fully believe should be a requirement <laughs> as someone who, you know, went to public school is, re, you know, and have children that are required to go to public school. It's like, do I, do I think that schools need to be offering breakfast and lunch? Absolutely. I do. I don't have any qualms about it whatsoever because mm -hmm. I, you know, by giving children the chance to be, um, mentally present, physically able, and spatially aware of what's going on around them, they're going to put themselves into a better position to be successful as adults, period, end of story. And if that means that, you know, school is providing breakfast to all of those who are, you know, required to be there, which I would say that that's absolutely a requirement, um, because, was it you've got truancy laws all over the country where if kids don't show up, they'll, you know, you parents can be arrested or kids can be physically brought into school. Um, having those resources available to kids, especially young kids, uh, I mean, all kids realistically need to have that resource available to them. Agree. And especially when you require them to be at school, especially when you require them to be at school. I, yeah, I think just sensibly, every human is a bag of chemicals, and you need to get that that balance right. And in kids, that's tough because they're always in flux with their chemicals. But we do know there's basic chemicals that a mm -hmm. bag of chemicals needs to be balanced. And if Absolutely. you remove those, if you remove zinc or vitamin D, then that that bag doesn't work right. And Kids are our future. If we think, how are we going to save the world? We have to train the younger generations to mm -hmm. fix it. And we can't do that if they're a bag of chemicals that can't concentrate. <laughs> and it you seems like all of those things are, I bet you 99% of the people listening could say they have a couple of those conditions. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and it's not to say that, you know, you grew up with food insecurity and that's why you have what you have. Right. But what we can say is, is that when you are food secure, you're, you know, think about it this way. If you're not getting the proper nutrients as a kid, that means that your brain is lacking the proper nutrients to, to develop. That mm -hmm. means that as you age, some of those things that were going to be part of your developmental structure as a child are either delayed or stopped altogether. So the simple act of having food available seems to stem a lot of problems when it comes to future developmental disorders. Right. Cause if you think about some of the things in adults, um, the overall health status, uh, what do we got? We got obesity here, hyper hypertension, got diabetes, you know, lower cognitive cognitive functions, like what, how I'm just trying to say cognitive, functions <laughs> and so they become chronic those things that we're mm -hmm. seeing in kids they don't go away as you become an adult even if you suddenly get food some of those things become chronic absolutely so being able to sit down and understand that a simple change you know yes it has an expense associated with it but when you think about what happens to those, those developmental issues, mm -hmm. uh, don't go away. They don't go away. Once they graduate high school, they turn into different issues. And those issues right. usually are anything from, you know, like you said, substance abuse, mm -hmm. that guess what rolls into the whole factor of people being in prison. 
Yeah, you know, no hope. Jails being full, no hope. Un- the inability to focus, concentrate. You haven't had that ability. You haven't had the right. resources for your brain to develop those, and so you have chronic issues with employment and homelessness, and and those things don't change. And like well, it, it, if you could stop that process at the beginning, yes, you have to at the beginning. Otherwise, you could, you're you missing could, it. Yeah, and and you you help, will have a greater effect on more people by something as simple as breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right, and not just a piece of bread, like right. nutri- nutrients, because that's what a bag of chemicals needs. You know, right. And, and so, you know, you've seen this experimented with in a lot of different ways, um, across, uh, across the country. Um, the, my high school, uh, experimented with just having granola bars available for breakfasts in the morning, you know, something because like the kitchen staff was already there and cooking lunch early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So it made it difficult, you know, being in a small school to have, you know, eggs and bacon for breakfast. Sure. And that's kind of heavy. I would fall asleep in my first class if you gave me eggs and bacon. (laughs) Whereas, you know, the way that I grew up, eggs and bacon were a great start to my day. Sure. Well, yeah, you you had to do work at four in the morning on the farm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, for everybody, it's a little bit different, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I would even say that, you know, for everybody's body type, it's a little bit different. You know, like I said, my kids, um, most of the time, they're not really all that much for breakfast. They'll have, you know, some applesauce in the morning and that's enough to get them, keep them going through lunch. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, they're, they wake up hungry and it's like, all right, we need something with a little more oomph behind it. Okay, great. You know, and, and, you know, for my kids having, having, you know, cereal or eggs or, um, muffins or, you know, applesauce or whatever available, they have, they have the options, but you know, in places where it's like, okay, do you have the staff available to do like a, like a full breakfast, like eggs and and sausage and toast Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, is it granola bars? Is it, you know, is it a bowl of cereal? I mean, granted, you know, it's, what are the kids grabbing? If you offer all three and the kids grab the granola, then you back off on the eggs and bacon a little bit. It depends on the kids in your area absolutely it depends on the kids in your area it depends on well and i would it it depends on what their body says they need you know or what you have access to what supplies you have available at a good price right right Right, exactly and so you know for schools it's it's all going to be different you know Mm. you're going to have kids that are like yeah no i only need a little bit costco applesauce is the way to go great fantastic you know kids don't know Right. Like necessarily, they don't know what the, what their body runs best on until they start running on it. And then they start choosing it. Right. Exactly. And, and, but having, having options available, you know, if, you know, if it means that, you know, one kid is eating, you know, quick eggs in the morning mm-hmm. at school and they're they start doing better in school. Fantastic. Right. If a kid needs a granola bar, if a kid needs an applesauce or, or a bowl of cereal, whatever, you know, Whatever you can helps have, them best. Right. You can have a ton of quick options available. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them requiring even even less uh, I would say attendance than others, like you know, a hot breakfast, for example. Yeah. You know, those things right there. And 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 I would also say that we also have to do more in terms of destigmatizing that as well. If somebody yeah. has to come to school early in order to get breakfast, hey, cool, guess what? Right. That should, you know, school should be a safe place for kids mm-hmm. in any realm or any, you know, in any regard. Yeah. I, so when we're kids, we're always like, ha, ah, they're not like me. And when we're adults, we're like, thank God they're not like me. So, right. 
if you're a kid, just understand that. But I don't think kids understand their food insecure. No. And I think they grow up to be no. adults that assume that that's how life is. And they live in a food insecure environment and they raise kids in that. Like they've normalized it. Until they learn it. And even then, you know, you're, yeah, kids don't understand it. They don't know about food insecure is my but point. But their body, their body uh-huh. is, their body and their mind are causing them to act out in ways that, I mean, are telltale signs of, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm starving. I'm right. But, but my point is the, the mom that knows food insecurity, raising a kid in food, food insecurity doesn't understand that depression and suicide is attached to the food insecurity. They just think their kid is a bad kid. Well, and that's where, you know, more conversations around all of these different, like the brain is a really weird fickle organ. And, you know, if you, if you don't do things just right with the brain, it does all sorts of wonky things. Yeah. You know, if you don't I get say enough that water, as, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get enough water. If you, if you don't get enough, you know, vitamin D, if you don't get enough vitamin B, if you don't mm-hmm. get enough, um, vitamin C, it's, your brain, your brain does wild and crazy things. Yeah. And when... attempting to compensate for those deficiencies, mm-hmm. right? Sorry. Yeah. I'll, pretty, I'll let you yeah. talk. It's just, you're, you're just, yeah. I love you on this issue. You know, it's, you know, like I said, this one is, is one that hits very close to home and it's very mm-hmm. close to my heart, you know, and, and I would say, you know, when it came to COVID and the shutdowns, this was one of my greatest fears. It wasn't yes. that my kids were going to go hungry. We were going to be fine. But all of the kids that have, that struggled to have access to food now being forced to stay at home mm-hmm. was really concerning, you know, that for, for, for kids that one meal a day might be the best meal of the day that they get, or those two meals a day, if they got breakfast at school. And so right. when, when our school district made it, the, made the decision to, uh, start busing meals to kids that needed them and having them pick them up at the bus stop. Like that was an absolutely brilliant decision because bus buses needed to run in order to keep people on staff and kids needed meals. So it was a fantastic decision that was made to pack up a bunch of meals, like a breakfast and a lunch and send that off or, you know, have the cafeteria open. So that way, you know, during lunchtime, parents could bring their kids in and drop them off to get some, get a meal or two. You know, those are fantastic things that were done, at least here during the pandemic, in order to make sure that kids still had reliable access to food and that, you know, we still kept looking after our community. So my question then becomes, is this something that, you know, we can continue on more than just during the school year because kids still need food during the summers too. There so. needs to be more organizations based on that. And I love the destigmatizing dis- of it. Absolutely. You know, it, the more, the more we destigmatize it and the more we get people uh, involved in ensuring that food insecurity is not a, a prolonged issue, the better off, all of our kids are going to be, and the better off we're going to be as a society. Period. End of story. I talked to Debbie about sparks and fires, and I think this is a fire. I don't think this is a spark, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a. I love getting down to these base reasons why we're messed up because there's simple fixes for all this, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say there's a, there's a note. I made a big food insecurity note that you can click on in the description portion to learn more. And we are going to probably, let's do this now. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. We are going to go on um, to part two of food insecurity because it's a important topic and we haven't even gotten to like the thickness of the conversation. So <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> to those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you nobody, is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. I, poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome, welcome to Public Access America. America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams on YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Twitter. Apple Podcast. Stitcher Stitcher Smart Radio Radio Public. And Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.